You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. This morning, I'm going to be speaking uh, about the vision of Hope Church. And over the next uh, three Sundays, we're going to be looking at various aspects of our vision together. If we rewind two years, uh, maybe just over two years ago, Sarah and I were visiting Ipswich. Um, It was our second or third time visiting this place and uh, just really checking out whether or not God wanted us to be here or whether he had somewhere else for us. And uh, we got to meet and greet a whole bunch of you. And uh, then we got invited to a small group leaders uh, training uh, time and when we got to meet loads of scary small group leaders. And as we sat down, Morris, uh, who was very kind to me, uh, just said, right guys, it's now time to ask Tom any question you like, <laughs> which, was, which was lovely. Thank you. That's great. And I got asked this question, Tom, what is your vision for Hope Church? So bear in mind, we hadn't decided we were going to come to Ipswich at that point. We hadn't given any confirmation that we were coming. We were very keen, but we hadn't really decided. Uh, It was quite an odd question to be asked. So I kind of, you know, the king of winging it, said the following, well, just to see loads of people come to know Jesus, right? Because that's the vision of the church. That's the vision of every church. That's, that's what we've been commanded to do, is to go and tell people about Jesus, to go and teach them how to live as he taught people to live, to tell people the good news about him. That's what we're here to do, right? And that's what I said. And, uh, but over these last couple of years since we've been here, God has been speaking to us as a leadership And um, through prophetic words, things that God has laid on people's hearts, as he has done this morning um, during our time of worship, as he's spoken to us as a church and is making it more and more clear for us about specifically what we are as a church to be. God has given us a general commission. He has given every church a general commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. But he also speaks to churches specifically about different emphasis that, that they will have and different things that they will do. And so this morning I'm going to speak a little bit about that. We believe in the gift of prophecy here. We believe that the Bible is the primary way that God uh, speaks to us, that we uh, we want to know anything about what he has to say on a particular subject. We go to the Bible, that is primary for us, but we do believe in the gift of prophecy. That's a big thing for us. And we weigh prophecy and we measure it up against the scriptures and we say, is that in line with what the Bible teaches? If it's not, then we don't want to know. And we love prophecy. And God has spoken to us through several really um, significant words uh, over the years about what he wants for Hope Church to be. And I've had the chance to go through prophetic words that were brought over this church um, before we were here as well. And I've seen that God has even caused things to come to pass already that were prophesied years ago. Things that were quite specific as I've looked through them. I said, that's already happened. That is already happening. And it's very exciting to see that. But God has spoken Furtherly, about what we're to be and our emphasis as a church. So I want to share with you a vision statement that uh, we as elders have finalized recently, and then I'm going to speak a little bit about an aspect of that today. So we envisage a large community of Christ followers in Ipswich and the surrounding areas, numbering 50 small groups locally and furthering the hope of Jesus to neighborhoods and nations. And we're calling Christ followers to passion, to pursuit of life-giving relationship with God, to partnership, to authentic community with other Christians, and to purpose, to living on mission for Jesus in all areas of life. This is 
our vision statement. This is what we hope will guide us into the years to come, that will help us to be focused in the coming years. And today I'm going to be speaking about passion. And then next week, Tim is going to look at partnership, how we can seek to have authentic community together. And then in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to wrap up this mini-series looking at purpose, how we live on mission for Jesus in all areas of life. We believe that we're going to be a church of small groups, not a church that just has small groups, that happens to have some small groups. We're going to be a church that it consists of small groups, where people are meaningfully tied in, where people are known and that they know other people, that they are loved and that they love others. We're believing for that. We're believing for 50 small groups. We believe that God has spoken to us about that. We're going to see 50 groups between 8 and 15 people here in Ipswich and in the surrounding areas. We believe that God is going to cause us to project people to the nations of the world. We had a great prophetic vision um, brought uh, some months ago during our worship time here of Hope Church being like an aircraft carrier. It was traveling through the ocean and there was hundreds of people on deck and that they were getting ready planes to be sent to the nations. And the different planes had different nations, different nationalities, different flags on them. We were going to be a church. We are going to be a church that will have reach far beyond Ipswich. We will see churches established in the nations of this world where Jesus is not yet known. Even in places where no one even knows Jesus, we're going to see churches established. We're going to see people reached. We believe that God has great purpose for this church. Do you believe that? Are you with me on that? We believe God is calling us to big things. And today, I'm going to look at passion and how we're to be a church that is passionate about God. But first, I've got a confession to make. As Matt said, I've been quite ill this week. I've had a really bad week, actually. And I'm someone who still uh, is not cynical when it comes to New Year's resolutions. I'm still someone who, who does like to resolve to do certain things in a new year. And I had resolved that I was going to be up early each day, that I was going to get time with God each day, that my diet was going to get better, and it has done to an extent, and that I was going to, there was all sorts of other things. I've got, I'm someone with that kind of get up and go, and I want the new year to be that fresh start. And then New Year's Day, I felt really awful. And I hadn't drunk anything the night before or anything like that. I just felt awful. And I had a, 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 a week where I've not felt this unwell for some time. I'm better now. I'm not contagious. Don't worry. But I had a, a pretty rubbish week. And so Thursday morning, I was driving to a meeting. And uh, I just said to God, God, I'm supposed to speak on passion on Sunday morning. And I don't feel in the slightest bit passionate about you. All right, you need to know there's no cape here, okay? I'm not like super pastor. I don't, I don't sort of roll out of the bed when I'm feeling ill, singing all things bright and beautiful, okay? I don't even like that song. I'm not that guy. You know, I, I, I was not feeling passionate on Thursday morning. I felt grumpy. I was grumbling. And, and Sarah, my wife, could tell you, you know, I've, she's been so good this week, okay? She's been patient this week with me as I've not been feeling too great. And so there was me kind of, you know, rolling around in self-pity, and God led me to Exodus chapter 14. Why don't you turn there now? Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So you can look to, to, towards the beginning. Chapter 14, that's the big numbers that you'll see on the page. Let me give you a bit of context um, before we read the verses together that we're going to look at. The people of Israel, God's special people, had been captive in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time. 
whole generations of men and women had uh, only known oppression and slavery and fear and being second-class citizens and uh, women not really feeling they're able to be safe as they walk out on the streets and men, um, you know, working long hours, being whipped as they work and just misery. Not, and what was worse was that knowing that they had a great destiny, they weren't seeing it outworked. Knowing that they were God's special people, it didn't really feel very special for them. They were in slavery for 430 years, and it was horrific. And then God had raised up Moses and had said, you're going to, you're going to free my people. You're going to get them out of here. And it, and it seemed like it was going pretty well. God was sending plagues to the Egyptians. They were, kind of, they were getting all sorts of horrible things thrown at them. And yet Pharaoh wasn't letting them go. He, did, he wasn't going to relent. And they were going to have to stay in captivity for longer and longer and longer. Until finally Pharaoh did relent in the chapter before this. And the Israelites were let, they were let set free. However, they then realized they're being chased by the Egyptians. So you know, they've been set free, but then they're being pursued. And God does something amazing. He parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites, they walk through the sea as it were on dry land. There's nothing, they're not not being affected by the fact that there's sea either side of them. They're able to pass through safely. And we're just going to pick up in verse 28 of chapter 14. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. They're saying, I will exalt God. I will lift him high. I will lift up his name. I will make much of him with my life. His name will be on my lips. They're worshiping him passionately. And then in verse 19, I love this. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Verse 20, chapter 15. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. We're going to watch a very quick video in just a moment, which shows some Syrian refugees arriving in Vienna after a very, very long and hard and arduous journey. You need to check out the guy in the luminous jacket. Let's roll the video.
very short video, but I hope it just illustrates to you something of the relief that some of these, what these Israelites would have felt. They would have been partying. It wouldn't have been them standing there singing this song together quite solemnly, sing to the Lord for he has won a glorious victory. They would have been reveling in an amazing victory. There would have been a sense of relief, a sense of partying. It would have been like that guy in the luminous jacket busting those amazing moves because God had rescued them. God had brought them out of slavery. They had lots to celebrate. It was passionate praise. They were shouting, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. They were wild in party. I think that when we're not passionate about God, I think it's because we're proud. I think it's because we're proud. We don't like being told that we're proud, but we are. You are and I am. We're proud people. And I think that we feel that we deserve better than what we've got. And when we feel that we deserve better than what we've got, we're not passionate people about God. We're grumbling, we're grumpy, and we're not passionate about him. Either that or we feel that everything that we have, and it might be really good stuff, we think we've earned it and that we've done it all by ourselves. Think about these Israelites as they looked at the Egyptians, the Egyptian army washing up on the shoreline they would have had no reason to boast in themselves because they did nothing. They were passive in it all. <laughs> they just happened to follow Moses who, and God was doing some amazing miracles. They couldn't look upon that Red Sea and be proud of themselves. They were reveling in a victory that God alone had won for them, that God had done for them. It was all that he had done on their behalf. All they could do was dance and revel in the victory. You know, passion is ignited by recalling what you are saved from and rejoicing in what you are saved to. They were rejoicing in what they had been saved from. The oppression, the years of misery, no one having any prospects whatsoever because no matter how hard they worked, they couldn't have anything more than they had because they were slaves. And women, as I say, feeling fearful as they walked through the streets, not knowing what would happen to them. They were, they were remembering what they had been saved from. And friends, we need to remember what we have been saved from. God has done an amazing work of salvation in our lives. And we've been saved from all of the mess that we got ourselves in in the first place. And we've been saved from a, an awful destiny. And God has saved us to a wonderful life with him now. And a glorious destiny with him in eternity. We've got to remind ourselves of this. We've got to rejoice in it daily. Rejoice in what he has done for us. That's how passion gets ignited. I was grumbly, grum, grumbling and grumpily driving to that meeting on Thursday morning, not remembering that everything that I have is far better than what I deserve. It's far more than what I deserve. God has given me everything I don't deserve and more. I'd forgotten. Psalm 103 is a fantastic psalm. Where the psalmist, it's David, a psalm of David, and he says this Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good 
so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We mustn't forget his benefits. We mustn't forget all that he does for us. He is good to us. He's good to us. And this is exactly where the Israelites had got to. Some years later, they were in the desert waiting to go into the promised land, and they were grumbling. They were getting grumpy and starting to think, oh, it would be better off if we were back in Egypt. They'd forgotten all that God had done for them and all that he had for them in the future. Passion tends to drain away unless it's nurtured. Unless it's nurtured. I love the phrase that Morris used last week when he was preaching amongst us. He said, nurture your affection for God this year. You nurture it. It's an intentional thing. It's deliberate. If you don't, it will drain away. If you don't, it will drain away and you will be stale. And you won't be full of passion and worship for God. You know, God is seeking worshippers. He's seeking worshippers. He's scouring the earth and he's looking for worshippers. We read it in John chapter 4. Let's turn there together, shall we? John is one of the biographies of Jesus. It's in the New Testament, which is in the second part of the Bible. John was one of Jesus' best friends. Let's read verses 20 to 24. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. Jesus said, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is seeking worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. It's possible to come here week in, week out for years and not really allow your spirit to worship God and engage with his spirit in worship and to allow the truth of what you're singing to really go from your head to your heart and uh, erupt in worship. It's possible for that to happen. You kind of go through the motions a little bit. God is seeking worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, worship the worship times we have here, they're not the kind of cold preliminary before we get to the good bit of preaching. That's not the deal. And actually, God wants us to understand that this is, there's no greater thing than being in his presence together in worship. It's fantastic. There's nothing better. And you know, I love worshiping God, but I can forget this sometimes. Recently, I, I went to an event where I wanted to go and hear a particular preacher, and uh, we kicked off at the beginning of this event with loads of worship. It went on and on and on. And I thought, come on, I'm here to hear this guy preach. And I, I checked myself and I realized, no, actually what I'm doing, there's no waste of time here. There's no waste of time here as we sing and worship and passionately engage with God. This is not wasted time. It's the most privileged time actually of all. It's the most privileged place to be. We need to get that this year. Let's understand that when we come together to worship, the worship time isn't the warm-up act. It's not the support act before we hear God's word opened. No, the worship times that we have are privileged. We get to come before our Father together. Yes, we can know him individually and come into his presence where we are in our rooms or in our cars or whatever it might be. But when we come together, there's a special measure of his presence to know that we wouldn't know on our own. And it's a really special place and a privileged place to be. We get to celebrate the victory that Jesus has won. We get to, like these Israelites, we get to say, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. We get to remind ourselves of the glorious triumph that Jesus has won. 
So this Samaritan woman is speaking to Jesus and she's asking where on earth she's supposed to worship. Am I supposed to worship here in Samaria or do I have to go to Jerusalem? And Jesus says the hour is coming. Now in John's gospel, when you see the words the hour, it's all about the cross. This, this, this phrase, the hour had not yet come, the hour was to come, is all about the cross. That Jesus would die on the cross. It's referring to the time when Jesus would die on the cross and where the temple curtain would be torn in two. There was a thick curtain in the temple in Jerusalem. And when Jesus died on the cross, we read that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That temple separated people so they couldn't go beyond to be where God's presence really heavily dwelt. There was a big curtain in the way. And that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It wasn't just a small hole. Spurgeon said it was a big tear from top to bottom so that big sinners could get through, like me and you. That's what Jesus has accomplished for us. He's accomplished for us access to God the Father wherever we are. He's accessible on the street. He's not accessible just in the temple or just on a particular mountain. We can know him wherever we are. We can worship him and come to him. And when we come to him, friends, when we remind ourselves of all that he's done for us, our worship should be passionate. It should be exuberant. This is not about being something that we're not. I'm not trying to say to people, like, you've got to do more stuff. You've got to raise your hands higher or you've got to shout louder. Don't, you don't have to be something that you're not. Your personality does, you know, it comes into account here. But we can't be nonchalant when we remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus. We can't be kind of just, well, that's okay. You know, it's got to be something that wells up from within us, what Jesus has done for us. Now, some here will say, no, I worship God with my life. It's not about coming to him in song. I worship him with my life. Well, that's perfectly biblical. We read in Romans 12, Paul says, offer your lives as living sacrifices, your bodies as living sacrifices. That's your spiritual act of worship. It's all very well. Yes, we do. We live out a lifestyle of worship. It's not just singing. We live out a lifestyle of worship. But there is something important about us declaring in song and shouting and speaking out the name of God and what he's done for us. There's something important about that that Jesus wants us to get because God is seeking worshippers. Imagine these Israelite people. What they had seen happen. They had seen the angel of death pass over their houses. There was a curse that was going to come upon the firstborn children of the Egyptians because Pharaoh just wasn't listening. He wasn't getting the message that God really wanted his people to be set free. And so the angel of death was sent and was going to pass over the houses and the firstborn child of the Egyptians was going to die and the Israelites painted the blood of a lamb on their doors so that the angel of death would pass over their houses and their firstborn children would be saved. So they've seen their salvation because of blood that was spilt. They've seen their oppressor defeated, the one that made them miserable. He'd been utterly humiliated and shamed and defeated. Their future was secure. God had promised them a land that there was going to be their very own. They had a glorious future as a people together, and they were reveling in that victory. We have got an even better victory to revel in. The blood that was spilt for us so that we could know forgiveness, the blood that was spilt for us so that we could know peace with God, that we could know him as our father, that we could know that our enemy has been defeated, that we could know that we've got a bright future, We've got a far greater victory to celebrate than these Israelites, and they are reveling. They're parting like those refugees that we saw in that video. They're booging on down. They're going for it 
because they've, they've seen that God has won for them an amazing victory. So our, our posture, I'm not trying to stir up people to be something that they're not, but what I'm saying is you can't see the good news of Jesus and just be nonchalant. You can't just be unmoved. It's got to well up. I've seen grown men pumping the air and jumping up and down and hugging and kissing each other at a, a goal in a football match. And to be honest, I've done that. You know, <laughs> I've kissed other men when England have scored a goal. You know, not on the lips, just on the cheek. You know, and and <laughs> but I've seen those very same men the next day in church, really not looking like they want to be there. And I just don't get it because we've got something much more excited, much more exciting to be passionate about than football, which I, I really enjoy football, right? Don't get me wrong. But we've got something much more exciting and important to get passionate about. God, the Father, is seeking worshippers. He loves it when we worship him. In fact, his biggest goal in life is to get as many people to worship him as possible. That's not, you know, that might seem like egotistical of God. He's crazy about his own glory. He's zealous for his own glory. He wants people to come to see that he alone is worthy of worship. And that's actually the very best news that we can hear. That's the best thing for us. When we see that he is far better than everything else we could give our lives to, it's best for us. It's best for us. And he's so committed to his glory that he saw the plight of his children. He saw us in our mess and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't live to die on the cross in our place, to take our sin and our shame and to rise again victoriously so that we could know forgiveness, so that we could know our Father in heaven, so that we could know eternity with him. That's how committed God is to his own glory. That's how committed he is to his worship. We were made to worship him. We were made to be passionate about him. I want you to hear me right here. God is not interested in our externals if our internals aren't really interested in him. He's not interested in us raising our hands higher and shouting louder and dancing if really there's nothing going on on the inside. It's not about putting on a show. He wants our, our inside, our internals to be affected by this good news and for it to well up, for it to well up into worship. He's been so good to us, hasn't he? He's been so good to us. Even when you're going for a tough time, he's good to you. He's really good to you. Everything you have, you don't deserve. You've got far more than you deserve because you're no better than me and I'm no better than you. <laughs> I know my own life and I know that everything I have is far more than I deserve. He's good to us. He's saved us. So our response should be passion. Our response should be passion for God, passionately pursuing him, passionately worshipping him. We've experienced a far greater salvation than those Israelites. A far greater salvation. So our response should be equal to that and more. I remember a couple of years ago, before we moved, maybe three or four years ago before we moved here, I sat with uh, the lead elder at the, the church we were part of and we were at a conference together. And the, the person who was uh, leading the seminar that we were in, he, he said, talk to the person next to you about your ambitions in life and your dreams in life. And uh, so I went first and I said, I want to do this and I want to see this happen. And I, wanna, I, had, I reeled off about five things that I wanted to do. And uh, the, this guy who was my, my old pastor, he said, I just want to be passionate about Jesus until the end. It was a, he was a much older and wiser guy than me. 
I want to just be passionate about Jesus until the end. I don't want to lose my passion for Jesus. And that really struck me. That convicted me a lot. Because it, it's not about what I can do for him. <laughs> I just want to love him. I just want him to be my first love until the end. That's what God has commanded us to do. That we'd love him with everything we've got. A worshipful heart will look exceedingly different to everyone around us. It will look exceedingly different in your workplaces. You know, I know how dire workplaces can be sometimes. Not very hopeful places, not places that are full of joy and energy. I was a social worker for about six, five or six years and in an office where often the, the morale would be low until someone brought the donuts in. <laughs> you know, it helped me to stand out. I wasn't someone like throwing Bible verses at people left, right and centre and always trying to twist every conversation back to the Bible, no. But that I had some hope in my heart, that I had joy in my heart because I had a reason to be hopeful and joyful. That makes a big difference. You will stand out in your workplace. You will stand out in your places and contexts of life as you are passionate about God, when you're not grumbling, when you're not grumpy and you realize that you've actually got a lot to be thankful for. I love the, the pattern that Jesus lays out for us. He laid out for us a pattern of pursuit of God that even in the busyness of life, he would get out of the way and would spend time with his father in the secret place. He would be with him. He'd pray. No doubt he would just pour out how much he loved his father in those prayer times. He gave us a pattern of prayer, didn't he? He said, go and close the door. Go to your room, close the door. Get before your God in heaven and pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, it didn't start with, God, I'm re I've really messed up this week. Can you help me with this? I know I don't deserve it. I know that you probably don't want to hear from me right now. How often do we start our prayers like that? How often do we do that? Is it just me? Is it you as well? God, I, 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 don't, I know I probably don't deserve this, but can you do this? It's our Father. He loves you. He wants you to come to Him as His children. You go, our oh, Father in heaven. You realize that He loves you. You realize that He's in heaven, so He's got all the resources you need. He's, there's nothing that He's lacking. You say, hallowed be your name. It's, it's worship. It's saying your, your name is to be revered. Your name is so holy and it's wonderful. That's the pattern that Jesus lays out for us. It's a pattern of passion. It's a pattern of pursuit of God that is passionate. That's what I want for us as a church. I want us as a church to be known as a church that's passionate about God. Let's be those who stir ourselves up in worship as we worship God in spirit and in truth. As we daily get time with him, as we daily lift up his name, as we recall to mind all that he's done for us. Let's worship him passionately. Let's not go stale. Some of us are in danger of going stale. We're in danger of just forgetting our first love. We're in danger of forgetting all that passion that we once had when we first knew Jesus. Over the years of disappointment or hardship or whatever it might be. Or just neglect. We just neglect our walk with God sometimes. Let's not go stale. Let's stir up passion within. Let's stir it up. Let's cultivate worship of Jesus in our hearts. Jesus said to this lady at the well, he said, everyone who drinks of the living water that I give will never go thirsty. 
The water he gives will become within us a spring of water that will well up to eternal life. So we get to receive the Spirit of God and it wells up within us so that others might come and see that it's, it's, they need to drink of God. You know, pa- a passionate life will spill out. Others will see it. It will be dangerously infectious. A life of passion will be dangerously infectious. People will see your way of life and will follow you. Some of you here, you might want to be a leader. You might want to lead in some way. You know, all you've got to do is be passionate about God. Cultivate passion for God and others will follow you. There's been a lot of ink spilt about leadership in the years gone by. I've read a number of books on leadership and they're all very well and good, but I've summed it up there. You just pursue God. <laughs> you just get passionate about him. You spend time with him and others will follow you. It's as simple as that. It really is. If you want to be a leader, get serious about God. Pursue him. Others will follow. Others will come with you on that. So let's be a church, friends. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to just wrap up in a moment. Let's just quieten our hearts before God. Let's be a church that is known for being passionate about God. Let's be a church that is known for our enthusiastic zeal for the name of Jesus. Let it be that people in Ipswich know that we are passionate about one thing, and that is God. We're passionate about him, that we lift him high, that we make much of him. Let it be known that we're a zealous people, that we're cultivating this love and affection for God in our lives. Let it be known that Hope Church is a church that takes God seriously and ourselves not very seriously. Let me finish just with uh, some verses from Romans chapter 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. I could go on, it's an amazing passage, but those first verses, let's not be lacking in zeal. Let's not lack passion for God. Let's stir it up. Let's be deliberate about it. Let's make time for him this year. Let's set aside time like Jesus to go be before our Father. Let's shut the door. That might mean shutting off everything else that could possibly interrupt. That's why you shut a door, isn't it? You don't want anyone else to walk in on you and interrupt. Shut off anything that would interrupt. Let's be before our Father. Let's give it our all in worship. Let's, let's, see, let's see our love for him grow this year. Should we pray? And then we're going to finish. Father God, I so want that. I so want to have the heart of those Israelites as they reveled in the victory that you'd won for them. 
I so want to be like those refugees who, as they arrived at their destination, were rejoicing. There was such relief on their faces, such joy in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that there would be a sense of joy and relief and exuberance in our hearts this year. Lord, I pray that we would come to see what we've been saved from and what we are saved to, Lord, and as we as we recall that, Lord, that there would be worship springing up from within, that we would be passionate people, that we would pursue you with everything we have. God, would you help each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Let us be known as a church that is passionately pursuing God. Would you lead us forwards? Thank you so much for the great, bright future that you have for us. Thank you so much for the great destiny that we have as a people. Lord, for the many great exploits that you will have us do in the coming years, that you will do through us. Lord, we're excited about that, but more than anything, we want to just return to our first love. We want to be restored to the joy of our salvation again. Lord, that time when we first really got it, what you've done for us, when we first really understood it and it came and sunk into our hearts, Lord, I pray that that would be on our hearts again, that our posture would be exuberant and passion and praise and abandonment for the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.